Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. And today on Bankless, we are exploring the frontier of the multi-chain Ethereum roadmap. The roll-up centric roadmap has always been about producing many, many new layer twos, each of their own flavor, construction, and type in pursuit of allowing diversity of chains to all exist under the same ecosystem that we call Ethereum. Synthetics, an application, has been leading the charge into exploring what does this mean for the application layer of Ethereum. And today on the show, we're bringing in Kane Warwick, actually inside of my apartment. This is an in-person conversation. Uh, so you'll be able to pick up on the uh, speed and lack of latency there is between me and Kane, I would say. Uh, he was in New York for Mainnet. And so uh, we wanted to do a show about his recent blog post that he wrote called Synthetics, A New Hope about the next stage for synthetics in this multi-layer two ecosystem and how he is thinking about some of the complexities and challenges that the Ethereum roll-up centric roadmap presents for the application. Like I said, since he was in town for mainnet, I was like, Kane, just come on over and we'll do the conversation in person. Uh, so that was a, that was pretty fun. It's always nice to have in-person conversations. I don't do them as much, even though I have the setup ready to go. Uh, anytime there is a conference in New York, however, I will try and get one done. So in this episode, you're going to watch us navigate the complexities, the challenges of Ethereum's roll-up centric roadmap as it relates to applications that desire to exist across multiple layer twos, across multiple chains. Depending on the layer two application, the application construction itself, different challenges can arise in various levels of complexity. Kane and I walk through the three different levels of cross-chain complexity that an application can have that is determined by what that application is trying to do. For example, just mere independent instances like Uniswap deployments across chains is the easiest way to navigate the multi-chain world. It doesn't really matter if different Uniswap instances are deployed across chain, but as soon as there's unified governance, all of a sudden there is complexity because we need to start to weave these chains together. And then there's the next phase, the synthetics phase, which is not just unified governance, but unified liquidity and unified state. Synthetics has always been at the frontier of navigating the hard problems in Ethereum. After Unipig, the Uniswap demo on Optimism's optimistic rollup, the first optimistic rollup that had a live in production demo of an application, we called it Unipig back then, uh, Synthetics was the number two. Uh, and so they have always been pushing the frontier of what is possible in the world of crypto. And now Kane is leading the charge into doing the same thing once again with synthetics and the multi-chain ecosystem. So if you are curious about the super chain idea for optimism or just simply the shared state of layer twos, the re recomposing all the fractured composability of layer twos, this conversation is for you. And it's also just a fun conversation. Kane is a great conversationalist and he's, of course, wicked smart. So let's go ahead and get right into that conversation with Kane Warwick of Synthetics. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially Kraken, our preferred exchange for crypto in 2023. If you do not have an account with Kraken, consider clicking the link in the show notes to sign up with Kraken today. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. 
Mantle, formerly known as BitDAO, is the first DAO-led Web3 ecosystem, all built on top of Mantle's first core product, the Mantle Network, a brand new high-performance Ethereum Layer 2 built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle Network's gas fees by 80%, but it also reduces gas fee volatility, providing a more stable foundation for Mantle's applications. The Mantle Treasury is one of the biggest DAO-owned treasuries, which is seeding an ecosystem of projects from all around the Web3 space for Mantle. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded, like Game7 for Web3 Gaming, and Bybit for TVL and Liquidity and OnRamps. So if you want to build on the Mantle network, Mantle is offering a grants program that provides milestone-based funding to promising projects that help expand, secure, and decentralize Mantle. If you want to get started working with the first DAO-led Layer 2 ecosystem, check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xMantle. Arbitrum is accelerating the Web3 landscape with a suite of secure Ethereum scaling solutions. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum 1 with flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. Arbitrum Nova is quickly becoming a Web3 gaming hub and social dApps like Reddit are also calling Arbitrum home. And now Arbitrum Orbit allows you to use Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own layer three, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. Whether you are a developer, enterprise, or user, Arbitrum Orbit lets you take your project to new heights. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. Faster transaction speeds and significantly lower gas fees. So visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first app with Arbitrum. Experience Web3 development the way it was always meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Bigless Nation, we are here in person in my apartment here in Brooklyn with Kane Warwick, the co-founder of Infinex, semi-benevolent dictator of synthetics, house collector, and possibly, possibly the best hair in Ethereum. Kane, welcome to my apartment. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I was hanging out downstairs for a little while. I couldn't uh, figure out what channel to get you on. So Yeah, just like the problem that we're going to discuss in this episode, how do you reach me? Telegram, Discord, email, Twitter, text. We need some kind of aggregator. Yeah, we need one single shared way of getting in contact with each other. Yep. You're in town in New York here for uh, Mainnet. How's yes. that been going? Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, um, so uh, Mainnet and um, ETH New York slash Pragma, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Ethereum um, hackathon slash conference. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's been it's been pretty good. Vibes are pretty good. Lovely, lovely. Uh, and do you go in and out of Australia or do you do a circuit before you go back home? Um, I, this time I did because uh, I went from Token 2049, landed uh, in Sydney and then 24 hours later, hopped back on a plane to come over here. Mm -hmm. um, I had to pick up my kids on the way through. So I uh, couldn't go directly from Singapore to New York, unfortunately. <laughs> oh man, the life of uh, juggling, uh, being a dad and going to conferences and also being an app founder. I cannot imagine. Yeah, it's it's pretty hectic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my, my kids are pretty good travelers now yeah. so okay so as i alluded to there is a problem arising in the world of ethereum uh the roll-up centric roadmap as great as it is for producing natural emergent solutions across the different modules that make up a chain it also fragments composability uh and this is like kind of how i alluded to with like how do how do you reach me with all the different apps that we use yep. the illusion here is that there's so many different networks mm -hmm. how many networks currently is uh, synthetics deployed on Really two, Mainnet and Optimism are the okay. only two. Okay, and why not more? 
good question. I think, you know, we obviously were the first uh, um, project to deploy to Optimism. Mm -hmm. um, we worked really closely with the team. Um, you know, I did try to warn people about this and say like, hey guys, why don't we coordinate around Optimism rather mm -hmm. than having, you know, 100 rollups, but that ship has sailed now, mm -hmm. I think. So, um, you know, uh, we are in an environment where it, we're seeing, you know, even L1s convert into L2s, which yeah. I think is great, right? Mm -hmm. I think people, um, you know, who previously thought it was a good idea to launch an L1, realizing that, you know, being uh, sort of uh, connected to the Ethereum ecosystem is a more viable pathway. That's amazing. Um, so, you know, in the end of the day, I think we'll kind of accept that that's just the, the direction that things are going. Um, but for us, the challenge has been cross-chain communication. Mm -hmm. um, so with synthetics, uh, because we're a liquidity pro uh, protocol, we need to be able to ensure that on whichever network um, a user is interacting, that information about those interactions are passing through to the other networks. And that just creates you know, cross-chain communication demands that are much higher than like bridging a token, for example, where it's sort of a one-shot thing and then the token's on the other network and you can kind of let it do what it needs to do over there. I would imagine with the demands that synthetics has, uh, the growing number of chains produces probably like an exponential growing amount of complexity for managing those chains. Yeah, if you do it the right way, yeah. right? So, you know, there's like, unfortunately, we're not Uniswap, right? right? Where Uniswap can just deploy their immutable code onto a new network. Um, there isn't even the complexity of like moving fees around, right? Fees sit on that network, they go to LPs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you flick a, a fee switch on and all of a sudden the complexity goes up significantly, mm. right? Because now it's like, okay, well, where do the fees go? Right. Uni token holders on that network, mm. uni token holders on mainnet, uni right. token holders anywhere. Right. Do we burn the fees? Do we transfer them? Do we mm -hmm. convert them? What about if it's on Avalanche? Mm. How do you deal with that? You know, so as soon as you start to have any contemplation of like cross-chain communication, um, the complexity grows significantly. So if you can just deploy your code and let it sit there and interact only on that one network, it's much mm. easier. Unfortunately for synthetics, it's just not possible. Right. And you're, so what you're starting to allude to is that there are different types of apps out there that have different cross-chain needs. Yes. Um, maybe there's a few categories of this in your blog post, which is going to be the basis of this conversation. You kind of start to progress through the different kinds of apps that have different levels of demands for complexity when it comes to cross-chain. And I think um, synthetics would be at like the highest order of a cross-chain, a many multi-layer two world is the most complex for synthetics than it would be for like Uniswap. Uniswap is deployed on like 13 different chains and that's just a property of the nature of what Uniswap is. Uh, like you alluded to, there's this one thing called the fee switch that if we turn that on, all of a sudden Uniswap goes from like, well, it's pretty simple to deploy Uniswap across chain to like, okay, now we are elevating in complexity. Could you kind of walk us through the, fa the phases of complexity that an app, the properties of an app might be like what properties are simple to deploy across any chain, like the rollup centric roadmap of Ethereum, 10,000 rollups. That doesn't matter for some apps. What kind of categories of apps are those? And then what things make things more complex? Yeah, so I, I think on the spectrum, you know, the simplest thing is a Uniswap style deployment. Sure. It's immutable code. So you don't need to govern it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to upgrade it. Mm -hmm. You just deploy the code and right. it sits there. Um, there's no need for fees or anything like that to go outside of the protocol. Mm -hmm. um, so there's sort of, you know, uh, endogenous mm -hmm. to the protocol, LPs, um, you know, put right. liquidity in and LPs earn the fees. Right. That's it. Mm -hmm. um, and so each instance is really distinct. As soon as you start adding things like governance, right? If there's any upgradability, then it's a question of where does the governance come from? Is it governance is just on that network or is it governance that is anywhere? Because you know, most of the time the governance comes from token holders mm -hmm. and token holders 
are spread across all these different rollups. Right. So it's like, well, how do we coordinate the governance? You know, do we want someone who is holding uh, Aave mm -hmm. on mainnet to be governing the deployment on Arbitrum? Does right. that even make sense, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are they the same kind of stakeholder, right? Or is it only the Aave token holders who are kind of staked in the mod in the security module or whatever um, on Arbitrum should govern the Arbitrum deployment? Right. And then there's a, another you know area of complexity which is fee sharing. Mm -hmm. So okay, if there's fees that are being earned on one network, who do they go to? Mm -hmm. Do they go to all token holders? Do they go to um, you know uh, just token holders on that network? How do we distribute them? Are they paid out as a dividend? Do we do buybacks and burns, et cetera? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, there's solutions to all of these things, but they all add complexity. Right. Um, and you know, like the governance side of things, I think adds the most complexity. Right. Mm -hmm. um, then there's some other stuff like bridging. Do you want all your tokens on all of these different networks to be fungible? Mm. So, you know, I gave a, a, an example a long time ago. Um, you know, even before this was a real thing of Maker. Right. So if you have Dai on one network that is mainly backed by USDC, let's mm -hmm. say. Right. Um, and then you have a different instance of Maker that's deployed on, let's say, Arbitrum. Right. Um, and maybe the majority of the uh, the issuance of Dai is backed by ARB, the ARB token. Now, right. that's crazy and that's not <laughs> that's not the case. Right. But like in a future state, maybe that might be the case. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you look at those two things, and you say, OK, you know, we've got one network where it's all backed by USDC, another network where it's backed by like treasuries and then a third network where it's backed by, you know, an illiquid shitcoin. Right. Um, you know, let's use SNX. Right. As the example, rather than ARB. Right. I don't want to trigger, um, you know, ARB maxis. Right. Um, so, you know, we've got a synthetics app chain where you've got DAI that's being mm -hmm. backed by SNX, right? right. Um, and, you know, it's a liquid or, or whatever. Um, is that DAI that's being issued um, against those, you know, collateralized positions fungible? Mm -hmm. Do you want it to be fungible? Right. Is, you know, does it even make sense? Is it, you know, on some fundamental level, is it fungible? Right. And if it is how do you then enforce that fungibility, right. right? So you need bridges, you need cross-chain communication, you need to know if the DAI is moved onto a different network and it needs to be liquidated, how does that liquidation happen? Mm -hmm. And so all of that stuff just adds complexity. Is this both, uh, if I'm understanding this correctly, is this both like a kind of a more higher level philosophical question of is, is the DAI fungible from like the social layer? Do we perceive these things to be equivalent? Yep. And then the, the other problem is like, okay, maybe even if we do get to that point where yes, everyone agrees that these things, the risks of one implementation of die on one chain, we do agree that that should be equivalent with the risks of a different die implementation of a different chain. If we can cross that barrier, there's still the technical barrier of getting it to be fungible at the exactly. technical level, like yeah. the contract address and yeah. equivalency. So like there's two problems here. There, I think there's kind of three. There is the social problem, mm -hmm. which is, you know, if I'm using DAI, what is the perception of a user of DAI? Do they expect fungibility? Like, what is my expectation as a user of DAI? Mm -hmm. Then there's like the financial layer of, okay, if my expectation is they're fungible, are they really financially fungible assets, right? right? Like, yes. you know, if one's backed by nonsense and the other right. one's backed by ETH, right. Is that even the same, right? And how do we reconcile that? Is there a way that we can set up the financial incentives such that, you know, one has a really low LTV and one has a high LTV and the, the liquidation means that actually they're both as safe. They've just got different prioritization. And then assuming we get to that point, then the next thing is like, how do we even do that? Right. What's the mechanism? What's the technical mechanism by, right. by which we implement that? Really just to, to drive this one point home, the, w the way that you describe this in your article is like, Alice has trust preferences 
that uh, maybe Alice is very conservative. And so she only wants to use, uh, you know, a very low LTV inside of synthetics on mainnet. Uh, with very good, strong collateral because these are her trust preferences. Maybe a more adventurous Bob is out on some OP stack fork that just got deployed, and if there's a synthetics instance on that network that for some reason allows for, you know, shitcoin collateral to back SUSD, that's great if these instances are firewalled, kind of like how Uniswap deployments would be. Then, like, Alice's preferences don't get commingled with Bob's preferences. You know, conservative Alice is safe from DGen Bob. Um, and so long as there's actually, like, separation of instances. What is, why, why I think uh, the articulation of Synthetics is such an ambitious project about shared composability is that the unified version of Synthetics would mean that Alice's preferences and Bob's preferences are actually commingled, and those conflict. And so that's where we get into like, okay, so is SUSD on, you know, OP stack, shit, shit OP stack fork with shit OP, with shit uh, collateral, sorry for the language. Uh, just like, you know, the, all the risk, all the risk on one. Maximize risk. Maximize yeah, risk uh, yeah, uh, and then maximize conservatism. Yep. Uh, do, do, how do we even square these things? Yeah. And, and is there, you know, this is the financial layer, mm -hmm. right? Like, is there a way that you can parameterize this to allow both of these people to to you know mm -hmm. interact with one another and feel comfortable right um and or if not is there a way for you to sort of cauterize the risk and, and segment and silo the risk so that you know the user gets fungibility but on the lp side mm -hmm. the lps are protected from one another mm -hmm. right and, mm -hmm. and you know you don't have this like cascading failure or you know um or whatever um uh, and so you know these are hard problems right, right? but then it begs the question of even if you can get to that point, the technical implementation, there is right. no way to implement this. Right. And this is where synthetics, unfortunately, has a bad habit of being like on the bleeding edge. Like the vision bad, is- Very bad habit. Yeah, very bad <laughs> habit. Like, you know, it's it's like this kind of uh, very aspirational mm -hmm. vision of like, what if we could do this? Mm -hmm. You know, what if this is the future state? And the reality is that the tech is just not there yet, mm -hmm. right? Um, maybe this is solved with like, you know, at, at some point, uh, like a, an op code, you know, le like level of solution, right? Where mm -hmm. like we actually realize that cross-chain communication is necessary and, you know, we have this reliance on like Ethereum as a, you know, a, a state layer, mm -hmm. you know, where we're, you know, s storing state there and somehow we have a way of communicating that back out or something, you know, maybe there's like a more, a more long-term solution. Uh, in the interim, we've got, you know, a bunch of solutions which are fairly novel um, and none of them, are really yet in a position to be able to actually do this. And, you know, like anything, we do it and then we go, oh, wow, this doesn't scale. Right. Right. Like, or here's a solution that like handles the problem today. Right. Ethereum mainnet, you know, back in 2018. Right. Totally fine. Enough yep. bandwidth. Right. Like yep. just barely enough bandwidth. Right. Back, back then, in the days of one great gas. <laughs> exactly. And then like 20 minutes later, it's March 2020. Right. And you're like, oh, wow, this does right. not work at all. Yeah. Like it just is not possible for this to function right and so even if we have cross-chain communication and we've got these kind of rudimentary solutions or whatever um do they scale to something you know that that is uh you know across 100 chains like at the moment no can right. they get there it's a technical problem to solve right and just to again really just hammer on the definition of the problem statement um the many many app ecosystem if you have uniswap without governance just raw instances of uniswap deployed everywhere that's like problem level one not too not too much of a problem problem two is when okay we have central 
Uniswap governance and decentral Uniswap deployments. How does that co how do we cohere? How does this one app cohere into this one unified system when we're across when Uniswap itself is across many different states? That's like um, you know not a crazy problem, but still a hard problem. It's still like some uh, things some su things to suss out. And then the final problem is like what Synthetics wants to do, which is shared liquidity, mm. shared liquidity across states. And liquidity is finite. Uh, if you have many chains, we're starting to fracture liquidity. And so the golden solution here is that when you add liquidity to one network, one implementation, you are also increasing the liquidity on a different network. And that's like the hardest and it can level flow problem. through. Yeah, right. It's the hardest level problem that we've thought of to date. So far. Right? And this is, you know, like, <laughs> like it would not surprise me at all if synthetics or other protocols eventually come up with even harder problems right. that are, you know, harder problems that have to do with cross-chain communication. Mm -hmm. There's some, you know, demand or some functionality that requires something. But at the moment, that's kind of the, you know, the most challenging thing is like to treat these distinct networks as one network right. requires a level of cross-chain communication that we just can't quite support yet. Right. Yeah. And, and of course, just to throw a bone to the Solana camp out there, this is why they are like layer one, one chain maximalists. Yes. Like they, they get to be the composable <laughs> chain because they only want to have one monolithic chain. Yeah. Uh, so they're listening to this and be like, yeah, that's, that's why Solana. Of course. Yeah. Don't like, don't fragment your liquidity. Right. Idiots, of course. Right? You know, yeah, like, <laughs> and, and, you know, there's something to be said for that. Right. Um, but, you know, the, there's definitely a counter argument of like, okay, fine. But at some point, you know, the L1 monolithic yeah. thing breaks, right? right? And yeah. then they just kick the can down the yeah, road. Yeah, it's like, they'll get know, there okay, too. <laughs> great. Like you've got 10x more growth, right? But, right. you know, eventually you're going to be like, oh, this doesn't really work. So. Okay. Without asking about the technical details, what's the vibe check on this problem becoming solved in the fullness of time? Um, it's, a, it's a really good question. And, you know, there's some ways to route around it, mm. right? Um, and, We've at the moment got these conflicting drives within the synthetics community, right? Mm -hmm. One drive is maintain SNX as the primary collateral in the protocol, right? Um, maintain the value prop of the SNX token mm -hmm. as uh, effectively as possible, right? Like do not devalue the token in any way, right? Um, and then the the kind of uh, counter to that is, okay, um, what if we don't need to uh fragment the liquidity as much by going and finding a more liquid more prevalent collateral like yeah. eth right and the assumption is that like there's going to be a lot more eth collateral available and eth liquidity available on all of these networks than you could ever really have you know in snx mm -hmm. right um you know the market caps are i think you know at the moment a couple of orders of magnitude different right yeah, so there's right. a lot more liquidity out there so use a more liquid thing and then use snx for something different right, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and these are just conflicting goals you know because if we use eth then it becomes much easier right then you're actually back to more like the uniswap Right. style thing right yeah. uniswap mm -hmm. plus fee switch right right yep. where it's like you got these distinct things you use collateral on that network you don't need to spread your collateral out you don't need to you know communicate between them you can maintain fungibility because they are they are fundamentally all the same instance so you can bridge tokens back and forth and you know they're fungible because they're all backed by eth mm -hmm. right um they all earn fees and you know the fees are paid in the stable coin and then you just figure out a way to distribute those fees across the different networks and there's a whole bunch of solutions right you know i've been very against buybacks and burns as being inefficient mm. right in the past like if you're doing a buyback and burn that it means all token holders whether they're participating in the network or not mm. get a benefit mm. right um, mm -hmm. and so it's inefficient from right. from a um you know incentive perspective but 
in a cross-chain environment, it actually flips and becomes more efficient mm. because mm -hmm. by doing a buyback and burn, the benefits accrue to everyone equally, right? right? Um, and, you know, again, there's there's some potential issues with, with that where maybe everyone just wants to camp out on mainnet, the safest place, right. even if the highest fee yield is over here, right? right? And so you're, you're not creating the right. right incentives. But if you have sufficient fees on the network where you want the activity to happen that goes to LPs, mm -hmm. and then some other protocol level fee that flows back to everyone, no matter where they are, mm -hmm. then I think you can strike a balance. Yeah, you, in that model, you're kind of letting the free market, you're really leaning into the free markets to solve a lot of problems, yes. which yep. I generally agree with and like as a design principle, the free market's powerful, let it let it do its work. Yeah, agreed, right. yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, and so, it's, and so this is the, the one thing I will give credit towards Synthetics with is it's um, seemingly like egolessness about w being willing to experiment across all different, like being very pragmatic about like, do we want to enshrine SNX first and foremost? Well, let's consider the scenarios in which the answer is yes and no, and let's pick the best of both worlds. And so it, it, in your blog post, you talk about three different paths, three different options. Some make more sense than others to solve some of this fragmented liquidity um, solutions. And one of them is like you said, it's like, well, we can bootstrap with Ether instead of bootstrapping with SNX. Uh, that's, I think, the first the first path of, yeah. of three. You want to yep. take us to, further into the second one? Yeah, so I think it's worth calling out, though, that synthetics, we are very pragmatic, but mm -hmm. we're also extremely dogmatic, mm. right? And it's mm -hmm. a weird mix, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like certain dogma within the community where it's like, you can't touch that, okay. right? So for a long time, it was like, you cannot uh, siphon off fees away from the SNX token, right? It doesn't matter how good of an idea you think right. this is, right? Um, and, you know, I'll give you a, a silly example, right? Sure. If we thought that, like, you know, putting 2% of the total fees towards, like, funding bankless, mm. right, was okay. going to be a really beneficial thing, right. and everyone agrees that this is a beneficial thing, it would right. be amazing, like, right. bankless is a super amazing right. public good that we want to fund or whatever. I, I'm, um, I'm liking this, yeah. Yeah, okay, uh -huh. zero chance that will right. ever happen, right? right? right, right. Um, you know, back in the day, because we just said, the instant you it was almost like the Uniswap fee switch. The instant right. you divert fee, like we right. had a fee switch that was on and welded shut. Right. You couldn't actually turn it off, right? <laughs> like it's the opposite of Uniswap, right? right. Uh -huh. It's like we basically, you know, jammed uh -huh. it to like full uh -huh. fee switch on. All of the fees ever right. generated go to the token holders. Mm -hmm. Zero goes to LPs because right. the token holders are the same. Yeah. And then we're like, let's make sure that no one can ever touch this right. thing. And, you know, we broke the switch off and welded it shut, right? Well, this is just a good lesson in incredible neutrality. That a similar EIP was put forth. Uh, shout out Kevin Awaki. Uh, EIP, I can't remember what it was, but it wanted to siphon off Ethereum block rewards yes. for public goods or yep. something. Some yep. We were going to take this, uh, what was ideally this credibly neutral protocol, Ethereum, mm -hmm. and we wanted to fund public goods with it. Who who doesn't want to fund Sounds public like a great goods? Idea. It's a yeah. great idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the community was super divided over this and over just like the corruption that that might instill. Like it starts off as a good idea. Uh, but what if, what if Bankless starts making content about uh, XRP? And how uh, apps are dumb. Like that is not a something that can be um, ca imagined in the short term, but then it might happen in the long term. Yeah, agreed. Sm and, small and little like divergence there. Yeah, but like down. this is you know this is the same problem, right? Like right. that you really are trying to avoid trusting anyone, right. right? Like, you know, if there's no proper incentive mechanism to ensure that the alignment's there, um, mm -hmm. then, you know, it becomes very risky, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and so, you know, the same, by the same token, right? As soon as we're like, oh, but what if we just, it's just a little, just a little tiny bit of right, fees, right, just right, right. give them, uh -huh. like, come on, we need this thing, right? Uh -huh. And people were like, as soon as you do that, the floodgates open, right? And you don't know, yes. and you know, there's, 
it is a bit of a slippery slope argument, mm -hmm. but like it is definitely like a qualitative change, right? right? You're not just going from like, oh, let's, you know, send another 1% of fees to right. this thing, which we're yeah. already doing. Uh -huh. You're actually saying 0% of fees go anywhere but token holders, right. and now it's 2%. Mm -hmm. What's to stop it from going to 4%? Right. What's to stop it from being wasted? Right. The problem is that, you know, we're now at a, a, a point where we have actually started diverting fees. We finally said we have to pay integrators. Mm. We don't have our own front end. Mm. There's no synthetics front right. end, right? right? There are three, four different integrators and we need to pay them, right? And how you pay integrators to come in and do this is a hard problem to solve, right? There's a whole bunch of different conflicting, um, you know, uh, kind of motivations from from different parties, right? Mm. Um, and, and this is how interesting it is, right? So there was a bit of a debate and I'm on one hand building uh, a new front end, right? Mm. So I'm doing an integration, right? So, you know, like you could make an argument that for me, I'd love if half the fees went to integrators, right? right? Like yeah. it's a very self-serving argument, right? Like, we'll make, like let's make it 80% actually. Right. You know, the protocol should get some yeah. fees, right? Yeah. But like if 80% goes But really in, it's the front end. It's the front ends work. are doing the work, right? Yeah, right? So like, let's pay the, you know, let's pay the front ends, right? Um, and we need them. They're uh -huh. critical to the ecosystem, right? Yeah. So there's an argument of like to try and maximize that for my yeah. own personal benefit. Um, and I said, no, like, uh -huh. I don't want to be advocating for high fees. I don't think that we should be looking at the cost of running a front end today mm -hmm. and setting the fee split based on that, right? We should set the fee split as conservative as possible. And if it's not working, then we can increase it, mm -hmm. right? And some of the, the front ends have like, you know, come back and said, well, that's not fair, right? Because your front end is being bootstrapped by you. Mm-hmm. And you've got enough money to pay for it. So you don't right. need money. Right. You can actually run at a loss, right? Mm -hmm. And so by that argument, the most self-serving thing for me to say, no fees for any integrators. Uh, Let's yeah. make it 0%. Uh -huh. Let's go back to the old days of right. all the money goes to SNX holders because right. I get I, those I can, fees. I can fund user I can acquisition. Fund, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I can, you know, Then I can choke off all of these other guys. And I was like, wow, I hadn't even thought about that. Uh -huh. And so now it's a situation where like it doesn't matter what I advocate for right. like it's it's bad in both cases. So I kind of have to recuse myself and, and let it play out in the community. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's, again, just kind of speaks to, it's a challenging problem working mm -hmm. out how do you split up fees? Where do the incentives go? What are you trying to optimize for? Um, you know, all of this stuff. It's, it's really hard. And, you know, that's just talking about one network. Right. Like right. we haven't even gone to a multi-chain network where now you have the Arbitrum network and the Optimism network fighting, saying, well, hang on, we're generating more fees. Why don't we get more? Right. Why yeah. is it equally distributed? Why, mm -hmm. you know, like we've got more users, got more activity. Let's just keep the fees over here in Arbitrum land. And wow. then the Optimism people saying, you know, and we've had a little bit of this between Mainnet and Optimism, mm -hmm. um, where people are like, this isn't fair. We want more fees for Optimism or more fees for Mainnet or less fees here or whatever. So these are all very challenging governance problems. Okay. So as we're going down the, the rabbit hole, the idea made of like trying to discover how Synthetics has this like unified vision for itself. Where are, where, where are we? We talked about... Um, we talked about the three phases of difficulty. Yep. Uh, we started to define the differences in composability of governance. Yep. Uh, what's next in this conversation? So, you know, the, the liquidity conversation is, can you get people across the line to let go of their dogma, mm. right? Really, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the question. And so we were very dogmatic for a long time about no fees to anyone other than SNX holders okay. and no external collateral, mm -hmm. right? We... You know, we've had some wrappers and some other things like little experiments, but like fundamentally the SNX token is the collateral that backs SUSD, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so it's like, okay, how do we test this out in a way that maybe is not a one-way door and doesn't kind of open the floodgates and, and risk 
the position of the SNX token? Um, and how do we, you know, negotiate that amongst the community um, and be pragmatic about it to your point, right? Mm -hmm. How do we balance the dogmatic, right? If we open this door, or we, you know, we flip this switch, you know, we might not be able to unflip it, right? right? With we have a genuine problem that needs a solution and we don't have a clear solution. And so we need to experiment. Mm -hmm. um, and that has been, you know, honestly, the challenge of synthetics for, from the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. Is balancing those two, right. uh, you know, kind of competing drives. One of the tools in the tool belt for solving this cross-chain liquidity uh, issue is just cross-chain bridges. Uh, I think Chainlink CCIP comes as, into, into play here. Yes. How, how does that help solve the cross-chain problem? Can, can you talk about the, its involvement here? Yeah, so it helps, right, uh -huh. in the sense that uh, you can start to pass messages about the state of the different mm -hmm. um, instances mm -hmm. back to the main instance, right? So very good for like, you know, managing governance, managing deployments, okay. right? So you can have a, a unified governance framework that exists on optimism, mm -hmm. let's say, right? Um, that can pass messages to the other networks to change parameters, to make new deployments, to do a whole mm -hmm. bunch of things, right? Um, and so that's super valuable. What it probably can't do at the moment, um, or what it's what it's not yet ready to do, and Chainlink have some other solutions out there that are, are coming online that will be able to do this, is to manage like a, a shared cross-chain liquidity right. profile, right? Which is, a, which is the golden standard. That's the, that's, that's that's the, the ultimate right. aim right. that we want to get to, yeah. Right, yep. yeah, okay. So um, maybe one metaphor that's helpful for people to understand this, like uh, Synthetics a long time ago has chosen Optimism. You guys have been working with it, the Optimism team since since Unipig, right? I think like yeah. after Uniswap, right after, it was yep. Synthetics that was the second app yep. that was using the, the OP uh, tech stack. Um, and, and so this is Synthetics' brain. Uh, this, this is the home base where parameters get changed and then hopefully it spans out from there. And so if the uh, optimism version of synthetics is the, the, the canon, the, the, the home, the brain, yep. then you use Chainlink CCIP to send messages down the neurons yep. uh, to other instances of Base, synthetics. Arbitrum, right, wherever, it, it, wherever it's deployed. And that's, that's passing governance messages. Yes. Passing protocol updates and changes. Pulling fees back. And pulling right. fees back, yep. right. Yep. And then uh, kind of how we talked about earlier, you're allowing some of the, the margins, uh, the edges of the free market to balance pools, balance liquidity, and kind of do this kind of emergent stuff where um, there is no one single shared state, but things do get balanced relatively quickly according to the free market hypothesis. Yeah, so you know, if you've got ETH sitting on Arbitrum or Optimism, there's a bunch more demand on Arbitrum. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just a strong incentive to move over there right. and capture the fees because right. there are some fees that are only going to LPs, mm -hmm. so ETH stakers in this case, right? Um, so people, you know, if you're staking ETH on Optimism and there's less activity there, you're going to get paid less. Right. So you're going to move over to Arbitrum. Right. Absent some. Mm -hmm very strong ideological right. reasoning, Cut, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, same thing with Avalanche or whatever, right? So, you know, you kind of pick where you're willing to right. deploy liquidity and you're going to get fees there, but then there's going to be uh, a cut of the total fees that flow back to some place, right. right? And that some place then becomes an interesting question, right? Because, okay, we've been on optimism for a long time. We had to move to optimism because we needed scaling. We mm -hmm. couldn't deploy our perps solution on mainnet is just not right. possible, right? Yeah. The latency is too Done high, that, yeah. a whole mm -hmm. bunch of reasons, right? Um, cost is too high, et cetera. So we had to do that. But now we've got the OP stack and the super chain. And it's like, is it weird to have all of the governance on synthetics happening uh, in this arbitrary chain? Mm. 
right? Because let's say, you know, in two years time, there's five or 10 chains where synthetics is deployed. And let's say we do get to a point where it's all ETH collateral. So there's ETH collateral on all these different L2 mm. chains, right? And maybe optimism is number eight in terms of volume, mm. right? It feels a bit weird for the number eight chain, right. you know, maybe base is number one, right. right? It's like, well, hang on a second. Why are we sending all our fees back there? That seems weird. And right. so this towards the end of the article is, is where I sort of uh, propose this idea of having a credibly neutral place for governance and fee share and all of that stuff to happen. And, you know, it might be an OP stack chain, but it'll right. be like a synthetics app chain right. where stakers live there. Governance lives there. Um, fee sharing and you know other kinds of liquidity around SNX mm -hmm. and and you know various things live there, and then all the other chains have a deployed instance of perps and spot and whatever. This starts to feel like a little bit what Rune was going after with his MakerDAO app chain that is what he was calling the backend management of the DAO. Yes. And one specific chain that's custom built for MakerDAO. Yes. And then just instances of MakerDAO splattered across the cross rollup ecosystem. It sounds a little bit it's, harmonious. It's similar, except minus the crazy LLM Solana Neural scaling. tokenomics. <laughs> Neural tokenomics thing. Still haven't got my head around that yet. We didn't do our cage fight in uh, Singapore, unfortunately. We didn't, we didn't have a chance to. Um, maybe a permissionless next year. We can uh, we can put a sumo suit on or something and battle it out mm -hmm. or have a boxing mm -hmm. match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the permissionless games, which is a meme I'm trying to incept. Uh, okay, so th that, that would be the synthetics app chain, not that there is one instance of synthetics that is the large central instance like DY, there's a, that's a DYDX model yep. where DYDX is like F chain, F all the chains, just the DYDX We're going to go to the best place yeah. and we're going to, yeah, we're going to deploy, you know, on the best ghost chain that we can mm -hmm. find. Right. right. Uh, why not do the DYDX model of building your own like Cosmos IBC or your own one single central, like even roll app on Ethereum and say, hey, no, no Arbitrum deployment, no yeah. Optimism deployment, just this one place where you come to us. Like, why not do that? It's a good question. Um, and this is, I think, one of the unsolved or unanswered questions, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, I had a debate uh, that was moderated by um, Dan from Paradigm with mm -hmm. Antonio, I think it's a couple years ago now, maybe almost oh, wow. three years ago, right? Um, and I was like, this is crazy. Uh -huh. Like, you're crazy. Composability is the thing, right? right. If you go and build your own siloed chain at that point on Starkware, right? Um, then the only people who can interact with it are people that bridge there. Like, that's crazy. We want to be on a composable chain. That's the benefit of DeFi. And turns out I was wrong. <laughs> at least in the short term, sure, right? Sure. I was, you know, in the short term, I was wrong because what they got out of having their own chain where they controlled everything is they were able to uh, concentrate all the liquidity there. They were able to get a much better user experience. Mm -hmm. They were able to scale faster sooner, right? Um, and they got a significant lead over the other DEXs. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is an argument for an exchange to live on a very specific place, right? Um, and to concentrate all the liquidity there. The problem that I see with that is... This liquidity fragmentation and user fragmentation that we have today, um, the, the thesis is that there are distinct users on Arbitrum, on Avalanche, on Solana, on Mainnet, on Optimism, at, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We can keep um, going, yeah, keep going, keep yeah, going. You know, like we, we can be here all day, right? <laughs> and, and those people are not going anywhere else, right? right? Yeah. Maybe there's people that are like on Mainnet and Arbitrum or Mainnet and Optimism. Yeah. But if you're on only Optimism or only Arbitrum, there are users you cannot access, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that thesis is still kind of unproven. Um, and this is where the base experiment of, okay, let's deploy an instance of synthetics, let people deposit ETH, let's see if any activity happens there. Mm. If there's no activity there, that is a really you know important piece of information. Mm. Now, why do it on base versus Arbitrum? My 
reasoning is that Arbitrum is more valuable, mm -hmm. right? Base is very new and, you know, it's a low stakes experiment. If you do an, an Arbitrum and you get it wrong and, and you know, you launch this ETH thing and people right. don't want to use ETH or liquidity is bad, right. you kind of get one shot at it. Right. We've waited a long time to go to Arbitrum and I want us to get it right when we go there. Yeah. Um, and so let's do it on base. Let's right. see if it works. If it kind of works, then, okay, let's, right. let's do it on Arbitrum. Our Arbitrum is production, <laughs> base is an experiment. 100%, exactly, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, again, it's like, if there are distinct users on these chains, then you need to be on every chain. Right. If you believe, as DYDX does, that it doesn't matter what chain people prefer, they will come to your chain if you are the best solution, mm -hmm. then that's another approach. And that has been the approach that DYDX has taken, and it's gone very well for them so far. There is a third option, though, mm -hmm. and this is the Infinex option, mm -hmm. which is abstract away the chains completely, right? Right. Um, use an execution environment, but you don't even need to talk to users about it, but go like multiple steps further than DYDX, mm -hmm. where you're abstracting away the fact that there is even a chain. Right. You're just giving people an application, mm -hmm. a trading application, right. and you're giving them what they're used to using on centralized exchanges, usernames, passwords, um, you know, no bridging, mm -hmm. um, USDT, USDC as collateral, uh, you know, not signing transactions, mm -hmm. uh, a database like performant uh, environment where it feels like you're inside the app and every time you move or touch something, something right. happens, right? It's not this kind of slow, clunky, high latency thing. Um, and if that works, then you can be on whichever execution environment you want mm -hmm. because all of your users are just going to be signing into a uh, front end with a username and password and not caring. You can switch execution environments out arbitrarily and, and they'll and never you're notice. using execution environments to, as blockchains. Blockchains, o OP yeah. stack is an execution OP, by arbitrarily. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yep. For yeah, so like if Infinex is working, let's say, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's, there's obviously, there's the demand side and the supply side, okay? Mm -hmm. So at the moment, the supply side of liquidity is coming from optimism, mm -hmm. right? And the demand side is coming from people on optimism. Right. You build Infinex and you abstract that away. The demand side's coming from centralized exchanges. It's coming from Binance and Bybit and OKEx and all of those guys, right? And so now you've solved the demand side by building something that is feature parity with centralized exchanges, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe on the supply side, the liquidity is not actually there. Maybe there's not enough liquidity on Optimism and maybe there would be more liquidity on Arbitrum. You can actually switch out those execution environments and just move or combine right. them. And but right. you're abstracting it away. The user does not care or even know that sometimes their order is routed to Arbitrum, sometimes it's routed to Optimism, sometimes it's routed to Solana. Mm -hmm. It's irrelevant to them. They just want to know that they get you know fast execution and, and deep liquidity. That's it. MetaMask Portfolio is your one-stop shop to manage your crypto assets and to tap into DeFi all in one place. And the most important part of that experience, buying crypto, obviously. MetaMask Portfolio's buy feature enables you to purchase crypto easily without going through centralized exchanges. Designed with you in mind, you can fund your wallet directly in just a few clicks with convenience and simplicity. What happens when you press the buy button? Rather than being limited to a single payment provider, MetaMask brings together a bunch of vetted, trustworthy providers to present you with customized quotes for your crypto purchase. Once you've funded your wallet, you'll be able to plug into DeFi with all the money verbs like swapping, bridging, and staking. But first things first, you need skin in the game. Head over to metamask.io slash portfolio to buy crypto the easy way. 
Celo is the mobile-first, EVM-compatible, carbon-negative blockchain built for the real world. And now, something big is happening. Introducing the Celo Layer 2. It's a game-changing proposal that's going to bring Celo's rapidly growing ecosystem home to Ethereum. Vitalik has shared his excitement for the Celo Layer 2 on the Celo forum, so has Ben Jones from Optimism. But why? The Celo Layer 2 will bring huge advantages, like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability, and one block finality. What does all that mean? Rock-solid security, a trustless bridge to Ethereum, and more real world use cases for Ethereum without compromise. And real world adoption is happening. Active addresses on Celo have grown over 500% in the last six months. With the Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas using ERC20 tokens. But Celo is a community governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forum. Follow at Celo.org on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. You know Uniswap, it's the world's largest decentralized exchange with over $1.4 trillion in trading volume. You know this because we talk about it endlessly on Bankless. It's Uniswap, but Uniswap is becoming so much more. Uniswap Labs just released the Uniswap Mobile Wallet for iOS, the newest, easiest way to trade tokens on the go. With a Uniswap wallet, you can easily create or import a new wallet, buy crypto on any available exchange with your debit card with extremely low fiat on-ramp fees, and you can seamlessly swap on Mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. On the Uniswap mobile wallet, you can store and display your beautiful NFTs, and you can also explore Web3 with the in-app search features, market leaderboards, and price charts, or use Wallet Connect to connect to any Web3 application. So you can now go directly to DeFi with the Uniswap mobile wallet. Safe, simple custody from the most trusted team in DeFi. Download the Uniswap wallet today on iOS. There is a link in the show notes. The pattern that I'm picking up here is just like, uh, again, allowing player, sophisticated players in the free market to do a lot of the big lift because it's profitable for them uh, and just allowing simplicity to go into the to the actual end users who's supplying the orders. It, it reminds me a little bit of like the whole Uniswap X intent model where people are just come to Uniswap X or CowSwap and say, hey, I, I have this desire, I have this intent. And then the free market like bids for that. Mm. And so they would come like the model I'm seeing with Infinex is that people are just coming in, signing in, depositing their collateral and say, hey, I want to do these things. And then more sophisticated backend providers do the best to optimize their route between Arbitrum, whatever deployment of synthetics, Arbitrum, Optimism, wherever base. Uh, and then they just serve the best price possible to the user and they take the, the cut. This sounds like a design pattern that I think is going to be important for producing composability for all chains. It is another tool in the tool belt, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, it might be that, uh, that something like Infinex ends up routing to multiple different liquidity pools, right? Mm -hmm. And that there are multiple instances of, of synthetics where that goes. The thing that I think is interesting is my sense is that liquidity providers are a different group of people to end users, right? Mm -hmm. Or even traders, right. right? I think I have, I you know, I kind of believe in this thesis that there are traders on Arbitrum that don't trade or won't trade on Optimism, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think the same thing is necessarily true of liquidity providers. Mm. I think liquidity providers are a bit more mercenary. They just want yield, right? Yeah. Um, and you know they'll move arbitrarily between different chains to get the best yeah. yield. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so on the supply side, I think if Infinex is routing orders to Avalanche mm -hmm. and it's working, and as a liquidity provider, it's really high yield, I think people will move there. Mm -hmm. And they'll just be like, well, I'm a liquidity provider. I'm just looking for the best right. yield. Right, That's right, all right. I care about. 
I'm not ideological. Right. I'm I'm fine. Well, because if nine uh, liquidity providers like I'm not touching Avalanche, well, then it just increases the uh, the, the yield, yield for, for the, the one, one that, that does. does. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh-huh. And if for some reason there's it makes sense that that is the place to route the orders, right? right? Then you know it's this forcing function where everyone kind of has to go there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know on the user side. You just abstract away, you know, Binance doesn't tell you which database engine it's using, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell you which cloud computing, you know, right. uh, if you really love GCP and you hate mm-hmm. AWS, like there's no Binance option for you to <laughs> choose that, right? Like you just turn up to Binance, username, right. password, they could switch out, you know, the, the, the like computing provider and you would mm-hmm. never even know. Mm-hmm. So there's some other tools in the tool belt that I want to bring up. Uh, Optimism's idea about their super chain and homogenous block space uh, is their strategy. Uh, it's a little bit of hand waviness. Uh, there's a lot of a little bit of unknowns, but I, I will accept on faith that once we get to homogenous block space, we have some other things that we can then access and it's an iterative process. So maybe, maybe there's some solutions there. And then there's also this concept of shared sequencing and shared execution, um, espresso systems. Uh, and then like you mix that with a rollup as a service provider like um, Conduit, for example. Uh, so Conduit runs OP stack chains. They just opened up their support for Arbitrum. And all of a sudden, like say, for example, uh, Conduit or Espresso uh, shared sequencing, they just work together that transactions on Arbitrum can be matched and balanced with transactions on Optimism before settling down to the Ethereum layer one, all of a sudden we get even more composability cross-chain than what we had previously. Mm. Uh, and maybe maybe that's too far down the line for what um, uh, Synthetics is putting in practice today for solving the problems today. But like, how are these solutions on your radar and what do you think about them? They are. They're, they're on our radar. Um, and, you know, there's if I put my Infinex hat on or mm-hmm. I put my synthetics hat on, there's two kind of different approaches, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or thought processes, I guess, that are going on here. Um, you know, with my Infinex hat on, I sort of say it doesn't really matter, mm-hmm. right? Like it really doesn't matter about any of these things mm-hmm. because the allegiance of a user in Web2 world is not to the execution environment or the network, right? It is to the brand right. of the mm-hmm. application that they like to use. Right. They feel comfortable with it or whatever. Um, you know, if someone likes Robinhood, they don't care if the order is, I mean, they care a little bit that it's being routed to yes, Citadel. Yes, you know, payment, know, we'd care now. Yeah. <laughs> there's a payment for order flow issue. Right. <laughs> but like fundamentally, the average Robinhood user does not care whether it's Ken Griffin right. getting their orders routed to them or, you know, some other guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they don't really care. They just want to make sure that they don't pay anything to trade um, and, you know, that the execution price is reasonable ish. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and even that they don't care about that much. Right. right. Um, they care about the Robinhood app. They care right. about the features. You yep. know, if you change the color of the confetti when you go and you know, that they're going to care about. They're like, whoa, 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 like the blue confetti, right? Like, don't change it from blue to white. So, you know, what users actually care about is the user experience. And it's the allegiance to the brand. It's Uh the allegiance to the the look and feel of the app and all of that stuff, right? Um, The execution environment or or where the orders are routed or whatever is not that relevant. And so when I put my Infinex hat on, I say all of this stuff that we're, you know, getting caught up in Arbitrum versus Optimism versus, you know, whatever may get abstracted away, right? right? Um, and the question is, well, why have we not gone there before? Like, why now, right? And I think that there's a couple of reasons. One, we didn't have the infrastructure in place. Like, the infrastructure was not um, sort of good enough to compete with CFI, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, whether it's on the lending front or, you know, um, OTC desks or, you know, spot trading, 
perpetrating, whatever it is, right? We've always had this competition between decentralized and centralized. Mm -hmm. And centralized has always dominated mm -hmm. because centralized has just been better and easier mm -hmm. and simpler and not safer, right. but you know, all right. of those other things. And unfortunately, right. safeness is on the low end of the right. stack, right? Um, and so, you know, if we get to a point where we have an aggregator or this like DeFi super app like Infinex, where it's just choosing to integrate the best liquidity pools and the user doesn't care, they just care that they're getting the best experience, then all of this other stuff may disappear. Right. Um, then I put my hands. But it, it is solving it with centralization, though. <sighs> yeah, to an extent. M minimum centralization. Yeah, to an, ex yeah. Like, uh -huh. to an extent, right? So, you know, how is it solving it? It's saying we're creating a brand that will kind of overlay itself over all of these different mm -hmm. things, right? right? Um, and that brand will have users that will have some you know level of allegiance to mm -hmm. the brand right um and they will be used to the flows they'll have an account there all their assets will be there and you know they will just want to be able to use whatever is there now mm -hmm. there is a problem with that like mm -hmm. if, if you take that to a logical conclusion all of a sudden uh the market power that a you know, even forget about Infinex. If any app were to have that level of market power where it is more powerful than the underlying execution environments, right. then you, you know, get yeah. into a situation where, like, what if, you know, that app decides to route orders here over right. there because of some right, right. weird preference. A synthetic competitor. Exactly. Yeah. All of that yeah. stuff, right? Uh -huh. You know, like you suddenly like, there's conflicts. Or not even a synthetic competitor, but Infinex just forks synthetics with this new token yes and it's like hey it's, it's we're us doing now. this thing right yeah. so so here's a great example right uh -huh. um let's say we get into a situation where we want to use a lending protocol for margining mm -hmm. right rather than building uh our own margining system mm -hmm. right so infinex says okay you know um binance spent two years building their i mean ftx but spent you know a few years building their margining system. And, you know, by all accounts, it was a good margining system. It had some <laughs> fatal flaws, <laughs> you know, at a deep level. But, like, the margining system was good. People liked right. it. Users yeah, yeah. liked it, right? You could margin with a bunch of different things. You had right. cross-margin. Yeah. It was it was pretty good. But they had to build it bespoke, right? right? What if we just use Compound or Aave, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, now, okay, let's say we have a lot of market power, right? In the sense that we can route a lot of borrow, right? into one or both of those protocols, right? And so we say, okay, well, if we want to route orders to Aave, we need to get some kind of fee cut right. from this, mm -hmm. right? The same way that you would expect in any, Naturally. you know, yep. right? So who's gonna give us the most fees, mm. right? And then the next step is, okay, we're still not getting enough fees. What if we just fork it? Mm -hmm. If there's enough market power there, right. you could get to a point like, and I've always been so anti this like fear of forks, right? Like, oh, don't do open source because you know people will right. fork you because we've never had anything with that much market power. Yeah. But it could very well get to a point where given the state that we're in now mm -hmm. for next cycle, if you know a DeFi aggregator of some kind uh, has enough power, I mean, one inch kind of got there. Right. for a while yeah, yeah where like if one inch decided to route things to your private pools like you remember right. they had those private yeah, yeah. pools right uh -huh. you would make a lot of money if it mm -hmm. didn't you wouldn't mm -hmm. and so you have to imagine that like that needs right. to be controlled you know that's a very dangerous thing in terms of concentration of market right. power yeah the 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 centralized front end should not be top heavy with the power and strength of the foundation of the underlying protocol but that's the reality in most of the world, right? Right. Yeah. The the front end is the valuable thing, right? Right. And you know, like this conversations happened. You know, uh, I can't remember what the the specific phrasing was. I think it was like Chris Berniski, you know, talking uh -huh. about um, 
fat protocols or, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, you fat know, protocol like, thesis. Yeah, the yeah, fat yeah. protocol uh-huh. thesis, right? Um, you know, well, maybe that could flip it on its head, right? right. Where it's it's actually the fat UI thesis, right? right? Like the well, UI. Well, it's fat is, protocol. So ETH, Ethereum. Yep. Not like it didn't make not a statement about the app layer, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then like yeah. who knows about the, the centralization layer? Yeah. yeah. Right. So you know, there's a whole bunch of things that could right. play out. Like we're still so early, mm-hmm. and these things are still so unsolved, mm-hmm. um, and so it's really not clear what happens there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we're already seeing things that I hadn't even contemplated um, in terms of like you know. Uh, this UI layer, right? Because it had never been important in synthetics. Synthetics was always infrastructure, right? right. We had too many infrastructure problems to worry about the UI layer. Right, right, right. It was an afterthought. Yeah. All of a sudden, we're now thinking about this and thinking, well, hey, this, there's a yeah. lot of leverage here. Uh-huh. If you can get this right, all of a sudden it's like, well, let's just fork Ave. Mm-hmm. We've got, because it's always been the demand side, right? Mm-hmm. We Like the supply side, we've been so focused on it. We haven't been able to get the demand side. If you control the demand, right? You have a lot of power yeah, over the it, supply. Especially in crypto. My God. Whoever's yeah. got demand has it all. Exactly. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Well, okay. So thinking about this like idea of like a top heavy, powerful app, the kind of the solutions I was talking about, like cross chain uh, execution via shared sequencing is a check on that power. Yep. And like one of the goals I think we should all aspire to in crypto is like we want to get everyone on chain. We yep. want a billion people on chain. Yep. Uh, Infinex, you know, sorry, Kane, doesn't actually solve that problem. Yes. It actually is, a, it is intercepting that problem. Yes. And so uh, putting on your synthetics cap and your on-chain maxi cap, uh, then we, we should be hopeful about the power of cross-chain uh, shared execution because the, that yep. is a powerful tool of making you know, in the synthetics instance one composable with synthetics instance two. Yeah. So I think where the disaggregation potentially happens, right? So we Mm -hmm. might have an aggregation period Mm -hmm. where um, these like UI layer solutions, um, you know, that are abstracting away complexity and, and, you know, making the user experience and onboarding experience better, right? Mm -hmm. Aggregate a lot of power, right? Mm -hmm. The disaggregation comes from us learning the lesson of this, abstraction of complexity is really powerful. Mm-hmm. At the moment, it's just an idea, right. right? Like people might not even care. Like being able to sign in with a username and password might not be that beneficial, right? We're seeing in friend tech that it's kind of beneficial, mm-hmm. right? Like that's a good early right. indicator mm-hmm. that like this is actually useful because there's a whole bunch of other things that are horrendous about that right. app. And yet <laughs> the onboarding process, and like I love it, right? I'm on uh-huh. there, like I, you know, uh, but like it fucking barely works, right? right? And yet, you know, people are onboarding. It's wor- like, uh-huh. there's some things that are working and some things that are not, right? So the interesting thing for me is, okay, you know, waves of aggregation and disaggregation. Mm-hmm. And so if it turns out that this idea of the onboarding process being streamlined and, you know, abstracting the signing process away and all of this stuff becomes very powerful, it's easy for people to replicate that. Right. Like Infinex yeah. is still going to be open source. Right, right. You can fork Infinex uh-huh. and go and mm-hmm. do it a different mm-hmm. way, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like, yes, the aggregation could be problematic for a while. Um, but if there's too much power aggregated in a too, you know, concentrated uh, group of, con- you know, whatever controllers, token mm-hmm. holders, whatever, whatever the governance right. process is, the market will kind of disaggregate it, right? right? At least yeah. in, in crypto, because everything's open source. And it's like, oh, that's the tactic that you need to use, right? Mm-hmm. You need to remove the signing and you need to have account recovery and you need to do all this stuff. And then that'll become table stakes sure. and everyone will start doing it. And then, you know, it'll, it'll kind of spread back out again. Sure. Okay. 
All right, so I feel like we've done a pretty good job like laying the landscape of the problem statement and talking about potential solutions, where to look for solutions. Where, where are you focused? Like, where are you? What kind of solution area are you focused on the most that you're most optimistic about to solving some of these problems? Or where is synthetics specifically going towards? Yeah, so I think synthetics is looking at how do we do kind of one and two, right? As we, as we talked about. So can you, how, can you define one and two again? Yeah, so one and two would be like, how do we get on as many networks as possible sure. and ha- solve the governance problem, okay. right? So like deploy distinct instances mm-hmm. um, and let's test out if that even works mm-hmm. right um, and if it works then just solve number two which is right. like the shared governance fee right. movement sort of thing right. right importantly allowing the free market to balance uh doing the, th- the supply the side three. liquidity yeah. exactly mm-hmm. yeah yeah like balance the the liquidity via the market right. right and then figure out a way to stitch together that you know fee sharing process mm-hmm. or whatever right don't worry about fungibility don't worry about cross-chain communication don't worry about unified liquidity let the liquidity flow where it flows and then figure out a plan for fees, mm-hmm. right? Figure out a plan for governance and, and how you, you modify the thing. That's the, I think, short-term synthetics plan. Okay, short-term synthetics plan. Do you have any sort of like semblance of time around this? Well, I mean, there's nothing really stopping us from deploying to base, right? Right. Like yep. it's really about getting consensus within the community about that. Go to um, you know, so I would imagine that deploying to base at this point, given how close Perps v3 is, should probably wait for Perps v3. Um, the same thing that Infinex is doing. You know, Infinex could deploy Perps v2, but then, you know, the contracts change massively. So we were just waiting for Perps v3. Um, Perps v3, the last I heard, is in audit. Um, whatever that means, you know, synthetics, <laughs> right? I, um, you know, so like... Uh, my guess is that Perps v3 will be deployed probably in like October or maybe November. Okay. And once that's done, then it makes sense to test out this base, mm-hmm. you know, thesis, the, run the base experiment. Cool. Well, just like neck and neck with actual, like, with, with optimism, the, the people that you have uh, you know, teamed up with with such a long time, actually straightforwardly pushing the frontier into the unknown. And it's always one thing I've admir- uh, uh, admired about synthetics and, and what you've been doing, like taking on the, the hard problems head on. Are there any other parts of this conversation that I haven't unpacked yet that are, that are worth pulling out about synthetics or composability or anything else that you guys are working on? Um, I think, you know, we do have this other component um, in V3, mm-hmm. which is permissionlessness, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, you know, synthetics has always been a permission liquidity protocol mm-hmm. um, in the sense that it, governance controls what can be deployed, right? You can't deploy a novel instrument. No one can turn up and, you know, it's not it's not an open uh, protocol in the sense that someone can deploy some new asset, right? You're, you're talking about the new output of synthetics, like a new synth. Like, yeah, exactly. I would like to create a synth around some some particular some asset. Some novel and it's up thing, to be, you know, like a... Yeah. A volatility of Bitcoin right. index, right? right? Okay. Um, so, you know, you want to like have the BTC VIX. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, no. Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> great. Go to UMA. Right. Right. Yeah, like yeah. that really like go to UMA and build right. it there. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whatever. Um, and, and so now with V3, we're going to be opening up um, maybe, maybe not this year, but probably early next year, uh, the ability for someone to turn up and do the financial engineering without needing to do the token engineering, if that yeah. makes sense. Right. Yeah. So you can yeah, yeah. turn up and you can say, hey, I've got this Oracle. Um, you know, this is the way that the price feed works and I want to pump it in and get liquidity. Um, and I think that that 
uh, really kind of shifts the game in terms of like the ability to do novel financial engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't solve any of these other problems we've talked about, but mm-hmm. you know, it maybe makes them worse on some level because then you have right. like different instruments that exist on different chains, yeah. and you know, <laughs> it's like, well, I want the BTC VIX. Oh no, sorry, that's only on yeah, Arbitrum. Because right. <laughs> <Like, laughs> David's you gotta go to a different store. Yeah, for you gotta that go to a different yeah. store. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it it really puts a bit of pressure, right, when you have mm-hmm. permissionlessness, because then it's like you could have some protocols that decide to just deploy on Synthetics V3 on a specific chain and people are like oh, I heard that you could trade this thing and it's like yes but right? <laughs> and so you know being able to uh, abstract that away huh. and saying you know okay well on Arbitrum we've got these weird instances on base we've got these things and then on Optimism we've got these separate other things and finding a way for users to be able to like grok that mm-hmm. is you know going to be challenging right so right. It, that's another level yes. of complexity that we need to deal with unfortunately oh man complexity always yeah, making complexity. our jobs yeah right, right. <laughs> right. what yeah. about just even outside of the uh, synthetics ecosystem broader crypto ethereum uh, 2023 regulation is there anything else floating around in your head yeah i mean look regulations uh and regulators i think are pretty fucked at this point like there's no other way to put Taking it the L's, really? yeah it's you know like it's it's at a point of um sort of adversarial um, attacks on crypto that mm-hmm. I really didn't think that we would get to. Like really? I wanted to believe that, and, and maybe this is a bit naive, right? But like, I wanted to believe that the regulators genuinely were operating in good faith. Mm. And I actually think we've crossed the line where they're no longer right. operating in good faith. It's actually a pitched battle right. and they're just trying to win. And you're talking beyond Gensler. Oh yeah. Well. Like the yeah. CFTC is yeah. now, you know, yeah. like it's, it's way beyond that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, even into Congress and, you know, different things come out on any given day about mm-hmm. the agendas that various people have. And crypto's become unfortunately a partisan issue yeah. as well. Right. So you've right. got partisanship, you've got point scoring, you've uh-huh. got, you know, adversarial regulators, yeah. like the U S is not in a great place. And I love yeah. America, you know, I've spent right. half my life here. Um, but you know, it's, it's not amazing. That right. said, like, if there's one industry that you don't want to become adversarial with, <laughs> it's crypto. It's the, we it's will, the industry that's built inside of an adversarial environment. Like, we've been doing this for much longer than you guys, and we will absolutely not lose that battle, right? So, um, you know, it, I think, again, there was an assumption for a long time that it was misguided, but, mm-hmm. you know, in good faith acting. And now it's become more obvious that it's actually right. not misguided. It's not in good faith. It's a very, you know, clear attack on what we're trying to build, um, which is sad because, you know, my genuine view is that crypto is a new enabling technology like the internet that will make the world a better place. And of course it can be used for bad things and it can be used for good things, but like on a fundamental level, it is a new technology that will enable new innovative solutions to existing problems that will make the world a better place. It's just unequivocal in my mind, right? So, Okay, so are you saying that like maybe in the era of 2021, we were harmonious-ish with the regulators playing by the rules, good faith regulation, and then swapped to 2022, 2023, all of a sudden it's no longer good faith. It's like now it's the game of chess. Now people playing dirty. And you're saying that that environment is actually favoring to crypto because for we, sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, you you know, I think we were kind of psyops into like being like, oh, I think, you know, we just need to educate them. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh-huh. you spend a bunch of time educating people that did not want to be educated, right. actually knew what they were doing and were doing it in a very deliberate fashion. Mm-hmm. And we were just wasting our time trying to right. educate them. Right. Um, you know, it's the kind of now, you know, then like, right. then they fight you sort of thing. Uh-huh. Right. We're in the then they fight you. Yeah. you know, first they psyops you. And now they <laughs> you know, forgot the psyops. Yeah. We <laughs> forgot the psyops part of that. Right. But, um, you know, like, I think we were, 
were kind of psyops, right? Mm-hmm. Like we were like, yeah. no, no, no. Like, you know, like I really believe in the American system, right? Like I mm-hmm. genuinely believe that the American system is a, a market-driven, very powerful mechanism for improving the world um, and has been for a really long time. Um, and so, you know, like I was kind of psyops to myself yeah. and being like, yeah you know, people are not anti-innovation right. in America, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, they, like you've got some people that are maybe conservative, right? And who are like, oh, let's, you know, de-risk this. Let's not do something rash. Mm-hmm. Let's slow it down. But, you know, the idea that someone is just against innovation in principle, right. yeah, yeah. that's a foreign. weird, it's foreign. a bit foreign. Never right? been like, seen in America. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of strange, right? And so, you know, the idea that you have regulators and and, you know, people running these regulatory bodies that are just absolutely trying to stifle innovation, yeah that's a dark place to be in, yeah. right? But at the same time, the nice thing about crypto, in my mind, is that if you were to design a system, right, the fact that we've been you know, able to do regulatory arbitrage to you know, such a powerful extent, if you were to design a system that is resistant to this mm-hmm. exact type of thing, it would be crypto, right? right? Yeah, so yeah. we have the right. tools right. to resist this, right? Uh-huh. And we know how to we use are, them. We are the tools. We are the tools. <laughs> like the tools to resist this kind of overreach uh-huh. Are, it's crypto, right? right? And so, um, unfortunately, you know, they picked the wrong fight. Right. That's the reality, right? They picked the right. wrong fight. We didn't know we we're in a fight. Now we right. do, right? right. And it's right. like, okay, well, unfortunately, this is going to go pretty badly for you now. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, that's just the situation that we're in. Um, and, you know, I wish that it weren't. And, you know, again, it's it's become a partisan issue and maybe mm-hmm. that shifts and, you know, the, the battle lines, you know, kind of shift. But at the moment, um, my approach is that we need to actually, you know, be adversarial in a clearly adversarial. Bullish. Yeah. Bullish. Yeah. Well, the, the, the idea just that crypto who is full of just like relentless innovators, builders who are scrappy, like absolutely chewing glass as an industry going up against like status regulators who are yeah. just like, I know where I'm picking my, my Yeah, my I mean, like you wouldn't want to take on, uh, you know, like the valley, right? Like, right. you know, you wouldn't want to say like, if you're going to, if you're going to say, okay, I'm going to go um, pick a group of people like startup founders, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, in Silicon Valley, like right. those are the people I'm going to go after. Right. That's a dumb thing to yeah. do. They're <laughs> insane. Like you're talking about, you're taking on insane people. Then crypto founders, it's like right. an order of magnitude <laughs> beyond that, right? Right? Like you, uh, yeah, you might as well take on a zombie horde. It's going right. to go just about as well for you. So yeah, that's, that's my kind of take at the moment. And, you know, mm-hmm. as I said, it's a bit unfortunate that we're here, right. um, but it's nice at least to know that this is the situation we're in. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and really have a clear eyed view about, okay, if this is going to be the next five years of how we play this out, then let's play it out. Well, Kane, this is, has been great. Is there any uh, message to any of the Bankless listeners, the builders out there pointing towards Synthetics or Infinix or any part of that ecosystem or even just broadly, any message you have for them? Just broadly, I think keep building, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the bear market, noise floor has dropped. It's really mm-hmm. much easier to get oh, yes. attention for novel, mm-hmm. um, valuable solutions, um, you know, and, and innovative designs of, of systems like this is the time to build those things this is the time to get momentum um and you know i'm already seeing a ton of interesting stuff like every day i, I you know it's, it, you just the the vibe in terms of building is amazing at the yes. moment um yeah. it's which is kind of a bottom signal unfortunately right, right? <laughs> like the peak of when you feel like wow we're really getting stuff done and making progress is right. like unfortunately that's, that's the, about that's to come the peak to the bottom yeah. and then it's going to get crazy again because <laughs> the momentum you right. know, starts uh-huh. to flip and then the noise is there and you know, you get all kinds of craziness, but, um, it is what it is. I think mm-hmm. we've got, you know, a solid six to 12 months of building in I front so of us yeah. and, uh-huh. you know, um, just keep building and, and keep grinding. 
Well, Kane, your commitment to grinding is admirable. You've been grinding since last the prior bear market, through the bull market, and once again through the bear. So uh, I'm very glad to have you on the same team as as I am, the, the, the crypto team, of course. So thank you for coming over to my apartment and uh, doing this podcast with me. It's been fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Bankless Nation, you guys know the deal. Crypto is risky. The cross-chain composability world is a fog of war, yet we are going into that frontier nonetheless. We are glad you are with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.